Hello and welcome to another special Grattan podcast on the COVID-19 crisis. I'm Paul Austin, the editor of Grattan Institute, and today we're talking about the impact of the crisis on our schools and our children. The crisis is, of course, affecting every aspect of our lives, but none are more important than this. Will our children be able to cope? Will they be able to learn during this very stressful time in all of our lives if they are forced to do online schooling for weeks, months, even the rest of the year? To explore these questions, I'm joined by Grattan's Education Fellow, Julie Solomon. Hello, Julie. Hi, Paul. Julie's just published an important article explaining how the crisis may affect the schooling of our children. And I'll get to some particulars soon, Julie. But first, we're talking on Monday, the 30th of March. Can you please fill us in on what is the state of play with school closures right now across the country? So at the moment, the federal government's advice is still that it's safe to send children to school up until the end of term one. But there will be some student-free days as teachers start preparing to teach online for term two. Um, most states and territories are saying that parents have discretion to keep their kids at home if they like and if they're able to. And it looks as though many parents are choosing to do so. In some states like New South Wales and ACT, the, the state governments are giving stronger advice that parents should keep their kids at home unless they need to work, um, really trying to reduce some of the strain on schools. Now, the article you've published, Julie, which is on our website, is headed, disadvantaged students will be hit hardest by the enforced move to online schooling. Why is that, Julie? Why will the disadvantaged be hit hardest? So the digital divide in education is pretty well known. Uh, we know that children from poorer households tend to learn um, at a slower rate online for a whole range of reasons. Um, often they might be in households that have poorer access to the internet. They've got fewer devices in, that, in the home to learn from. Um, in Australia, the, the Smith family estimates that about 36% of disadvantaged children in Australia in, are in that situation. Um, there's also just a simple fact that often their, their home learning environments are poorer um, and, and their parents may not be there or able to help them as much uh, when they get stuck um, when they're working through material, material online. Um, we also know that it's not, it's not just students who come from poorer households, but also students who might be doing, uh, struggling academically in their work. So one of the real challenges of working online is that it requires students to be able to, to work at their own pace. And that requires being able to self-regulate -regula and have a good self-awareness of where your learning is at. And many kids struggle with that, um, but especially students who are already behind. You made a point that interested me that it's not just disadvantaged students, but in fact, most students are likely to fall behind in their schooling over the coming months. Is that right? That's right, Paul. So from some of the, um, the best studies that are available um, on this type of uh, scenario that we're now facing, um, so if you look at some of the the online charter schools in the US. There's, um, there's now a number of sort of fully online schools there. It's about 60,000 students a year who go through those schools. There's been some studies that show that uh, all students in those schools on average tend to do worse compared to sort of 
brick and mortar schools or traditional schools. Um, and that's in the case uh, of both maths and reading, although it's more pronounced in maths. Um, and it, the, what those studies show um, of, of about 150 online schools is that students who are from the poorest households tend to do the worst as well. So it's more exacerbated for those students, but it's an issue for all students. But we're all used to technology and digital devices these days, and dare I say, children more so than many of us. Um, might that research be out of date, Julie? That is, might it be the case that some tech savvy students will actually thrive in this environment? So good question. Um, so that, the research that I was quoting there is from the period of 2009 to 2013. So yeah, that is um, some time ago, um, but, what the studies show is, is that it's not necessarily about how tech savvy a student is um, as to whether or not they thrive in online learning. It's more about whether some of the, the elements of online learning are well suited to them. So as I said before, it's about being able to self pace and learn it, um, being able to judge where you're at in your learning and to um, stay motivated and to take on certain tasks. They're the types of things that online learning presents and they're the types of things that certain students will struggle with more than others. I mean, obviously, if um, students aren't particularly tech savvy, then that will be an issue as well. Um, but I think on the whole, it's more about, you know, uh, whether uh, how well how well equipped students are to learn independently is likely to be the, the, the driver as to whether or not they do it online. Okay, um, so Let's just clear up one point, Julie, sorry, before we go on. Mm. Uh, you're not making an argument here against the use of technology in schooling. So, no, this is definitely not an argument against uh, online learning. So, we know, and just to go back to the last, the last point before that, there are actually some kids who do a lot better um, learning online, particularly kids who might be on the autism spectrum, for example, who prefer a quieter learning environment. Um, and also kids who are gifted and talented who can actually accelerate and move much faster than they normally could in a regular classroom through more in individualised instruction that online learning sort of offers. Um, and we also know that there are some online learning programs that are showing really promising results. Um, uh, but what that shows is that normally it's when technology is used as a supplement to teaching, not as a replacement for the teacher. And that's actually the situation that we're facing now. Okay, so broadly speaking, this is not the ideal schooling environment. Um, it's right, isn't it, Julie, that at the end of this crisis, we'll all have some catching up to do, won't we? That's right. So it's, it's quite likely that there will be learning losses despite teachers and schools' best efforts to try and continue learning during this, this period. And I think just acknowledging that from the outset can actually take some of the pressure off our educators who are dry, trying their best to do a good job um, and really just start thinking about, well, what's required from government to make sure that we can get learning back on track? Well, let's go to that, Julie. Let's go to hopefully the end of the crisis comes soon or soon enough, and we're in catch-up mode in our schools. What are some of the policy options for helping students to bounce back? So I think an obvious option is that perhaps kids can just repeat a year. Uh, and, you know, certain kids who might be struggling 
that it might be better for them to just repeat the year rather than trying to catch up. Um, but from what the evidence says on that, um, repeating a year can do a lot of damage in terms of student self-esteem, particularly if it's just them and not others. Um, and what tends to happen is they, they can become less motivated, they're less likely to do their homework, their learning suffers, and, and their emotional wellbeing suffers as well. Um, the other options are things like intensive small group tuition sort of programs, which can be run after school and involve small groups that might be targeted at students at, at similar levels. And it involves teachers working with groups of say two to five and really intensively working through some concepts that need working through. Um, and that has been shown when it's done well, can add up to four months of learning um, from say a 10 week sort of small group tuition course. We know that the smaller the group, the more benefits that it has and one-on-one -on -one tuition has the biggest benefits, but that's also a really expensive option. Um, so the government could explore sort of small group tuition um, first before moving to sort of more resource intensive things like one-on-one -on -one tuition. And I think the other option that is actually really promising is uh, the potential for summer schools. So these types of programs are run in the US and the UK and they're less common in Australia, but um, you know, running intensive academic programs over a, a two to three week period, it could be done maybe just before school reopens. Um, and these are shown to work really well as well. And when they're, they're typically on average, students in a school over the course of two or three weeks can gain around two months of, of additional learning. And if, they're if the, the summer schools are done really well with qualified teachers and with a, a, that are well resourced, then it can be up to four months of additional learning, which is pretty astounding response really. Um, and it shows what you can achieve in compressed periods of time when you need to. Okay, can we just drill into each of those options uh, a little bit further, Julie? You make the point that the evidence shows that holding children back for a year can in fact cause more damage than good. But these are, of course, extraordinary circumstances. What's the situation if children basically are not at physical school for the rest of this year? That is a, a possibility. And uh, when I was speaking before, you know, that was on the assumption that we're miss, likely to miss out on term two and maybe a little bit of term three. But if, you, if you're sort of looking at 12 months absence from school and 12 months of online learning, then repeating a year for many kids or all kids might have to be an option. Um, and I think that some of those negative effects that I was talking about before, they, they're, known, I mean, they're known to kick in when certain kids are held back, but others go forward. So if you're talking about um, everybody missing out um, a lot, then repeating a year might need to be revisited. And intensive small group tuition for um, students, perhaps before or after regular school hours, I can see um, that that could have all sorts of benefits. But I hope teachers listening to this won't mind me saying, I can hear teachers groaning. Doesn't that add to their workload and to the length of their day? Sure, it would. Um, and I think the reality of this situation is that teachers have uh, this, this whole scenario is creating a lot of extra work for teachers. Um, in terms of the small group tuition, I would envisage that you could have 
trained and qualified teachers who might run those sessions that might be different to the uh, the regular classroom teacher. I mean, certainly if you're running them in groups of three, for example, then you'd need to have multiple teachers running those sessions. So it wouldn't necessarily be the same teacher doing it for all students. Um, and there have been some programs that have been small group tuition programs that have been run by different teachers to the regular classroom teachers that have shown positive benefits. So I'd hope that that type of a program could be something that's done um, by other people to help relieve the load of some teachers. And of course, uh, summer schools famously um, used in the United States. Um, uh, that idea imported to Australia again, uh, I can hear a different group groaning to that suggestion, <laughs> Julie, and that is school students. Are you suggesting that it may be necessary when, and let's hope it's soon, but when we're back to normal, that instead of going on a normal school holiday, for the next little while, students will go back to school for some intensive learning during the holiday period. That's right. And you're right that some, some students may not like the idea of that. Um, but I would have thought from my own uh, experience of having kids at home that maybe by that point, some kids might actually be quite keen to go back and see, see some of their friends. Um, uh, but yes, it'll, it'll be hard to know how students respond. Um, I, I would hope that, you know, I think they're all realising it's a pretty unusual situation at the moment. And I don't think anyone likes the idea of starting school and, and being really far behind others. So you'd have to have a pretty good communication program that might go out to parents of certain kids who might need to enrol and hopefully with a bit of family support and encouragement from parents, students might feel okay about it. What about the budgetary cost, Julie? These, the sorts of programs you're envisaging would surely be expensive. Schooling's expensive enough on the public purse or the private purse and private schooling. How would we fund this extra catch-up schooling? So the cost, if you're looking at um, roughly sort of, run, say, for example, rolling out small group tuition, for you know, half of the pop student population, as well as summer school programs that are intensively targeted at certain students. You're looking somewhere between around two to $4 billion, um, but we need to do some more costing on that to firm that up properly, uh, depending on the likely need. Um, that, that is a, that's, not, that's not cheap. It's definitely a lot of extra money. But if you think about the extra money that's going out in the stimulus packages at the moment. It's actually about 5% of what's already been announced to date. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a, it's a drop in the ocean really compared to the amount that the, the government will be needing to inject into the economy. And the good thing about this is that if this is extra programs, it would, it would mean extra salaries for the qualified teachers who deliver these additional programs. So you'd be helping to stimulate salaries as well at the same time, um, which is a, a good form of economic stimulus at a time when the economy really needs it. Okay, so sum up for me, Julie, what advice, may I ask, what advice would you give to school leaders and educators about this coming most unusual period of online schooling in Australia? So I, I think, um, do your best to continue student learning through the school closure period. And there's a lot that can be done uh, in terms of supplementary supports, but also be kind to yourselves to realise that 
there will be learning losses. This is a, a difficult situation. And we just need to start preparing now for what programs we can put into place that will support teachers when kids do return to school, because it's going to be a really overwhelming situation for them. And that means putting aside some of the extra resources and funds now to do it. And for parents, Julie, what advice would you give to parents about how they might be able to best help their children through the following weeks or months of online learning? So parents, I think, um, you know, I'd really just advise you to be patient. I think there's a lot that you can do to really help your students learn through this, this period. And I think just being there for them will have a lot of positive positive impacts. There's a lot of good information online that you can read about how you can support your students learning and you know ask your teachers what you can do to help support your kids because your teachers are also will be feeling incredibly stretched during this period and they'll be doing their best and and you know what you can do at home to help your kids will help them um, as well. So I think if we all pull in together we can uh, we can see it through. Thanks, Julie. I've just been taking notes through that last uh, answer in particular, but thank you for <laughs> your expertise and your advice today. And thank you to you, our listeners. If you would like to read Julie's article on online schooling or indeed any of Grattan's reports and articles on the virus and on a whole lot more besides, go to our website, grattan.edu.au. It's all there, including our previous podcasts and webinars. And you can stay up to date with all of Grattan's news and events by following us on Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. If you found this podcast valuable like me, then please help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes or Spotify and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening. <laughs>